Welcome to the Chef of X podcast. So you're obsessed with Wii video games. I wouldn't say obsessed, but、um, Trailer Park Boys drew me in into a game. Like I said, you grow weed in Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. But there's five other businesses you're doing at the same time that have nothing to do with weed. Yeah. So I just came across the weed one and thought, oh, I'll give it a try. Let's see if it's fun or not. And it turned out to be pretty fun. <laughs> it always amazes me、uh, how much like older people. Not that you're an older person. Yeah. But people who are in middle school love video games. Yes. Like adults love them. Yes. I avoided it because when I was a kid, I was a very obsessive kid, and I、uh, got into the first video game was、uh, Tony Hawk Underground Two. Oh, good. And、game. it was on a PS2. Yeah. And me and my brother played religiously, but I got out of it, and I just actually I started actually skating, you know. And he had a skateboard, but he would play the game more than he would skate. Right, and from there we just went down two different paths,、um, to the point where now I like to tell myself that the reason why I don't play video games is because if I did, that's probably all I would ever do. Like I、mm-hmm. see the addiction waiting for me, and I don't know. I just I think that it would be bad for me. Whereas somebody else who's more mellow, like my brother.、Uh, He can he can do it when he wants and he can stop when he wants. For me, I would constantly be thinking, "What does it take to get to the next level? What does it take? What does it fucking take?" Yeah, you know, you know that's actually what my second boyfriend is like. He is a piano teacher and he charges a hundred dollars an hour to teach you to play the piano、wow. and to sing. And、um, his business is on El Camino in San Mateo. But when he was done working those four hours a day or whatever. That's all he does is smoke weed and play video games. Yeah, it's 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 a it's its own world. I feel like if you're obsessive in any way, then you really. By have the way, how's your? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> Just double checking. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's definitely started. If we have visitors, I guess we'll just kind of just let it go. Let it go. Here's the thing: <laughs> this is a podcast that is being hosted at the、uh, home for the criminally insane,、mm-hmm. aka the rehab for the ex-cons. Right. It's not a professional setup. Right. <laughs> in fact, in fact, in fact, it's it's. By design, it has to be a little bit unprofessional because there wouldn't be a sound studio here. Right. But this is the best place to do it, and、right. I hope what I hope to achieve in every single one of them is a good conversation. And in order for that to happen, people need to be comfortable. Now, are you doing this for school or anything like that, or is this just like your 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 hobby? Like I said, I'm an obsessive person, so、uh-huh. it's like、uh, I don't like the word hobby. Like、I、it. feel like it's a fucking insult, it even though it's not. It but it is. It's closest to a hobby.、Uh, and but here's another angle to have on all of it. I, as a human being, am constantly exploring the world around me, and one way that I can explore the world around me is through exploring other people's minds. So that is like a Forever, never-ending homework assignment, <laughs> and but I also think there's skills involved.、Mm. So the more I try to do it, 
I think the better I'll get at the skills, mm -hmm. which will lead to me actually gaining ground and seeing what people are really like. What are people like? What the fuck it's is anybody funny like? you said that because I had that same realization that I could just, you know, I mean, when we fall in love, I personally fall in love with a person's mind before anything else. Okay. Um, What's that called? Sapiosexual? That's called sapiosexual, and I'm familiar with that term. And uh, I'm I not. That's why I asked. Somebody used it today uh, in conversation, and I didn't have the balls to ask. Wait, what are you? And I didn't so look you it, up. it up. I no, I should have. But then <laughs> I, I forgot about it. Like a, you know. Yeah, I came across like it um, right before I went to jail, actually, um, because there's this guy who we have kind of like he likes me, he doesn't like me kind of relationship. Yeah. And he lives all the way down in Hollister, and he actually has a girlfriend and a child. Oh, a one-year-old um, but they have what he claims this isn't verified by me but he claims they have an open relationship uh -oh. so that she can be with other men he can be with other women and it's all okay so I keep in contact but granted we've never done anything you know with each other nothing sexual okay um, but the flirting on via text is just incessant <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and this started before jail. This started before jail. Okay, and it's continued. Now. And it's continued. Wow, that's a, you guys have a stable thing going on for you at least. Yes. And did he call you in jail, or did you call him? <laughs> no, you know what? Because of the whole, you know, having to pay for it. And money everything. on the books. Money yeah, on the I didn't have any money on the books. But anyway, it's not that I'm open. most attracted to his mind. If you were to say out of, out of all the qualities he has, which may be he, he's very generous. This is true. Okay. He's um, uh, but mostly he's very intelligent, and so I I I read I came across the word sapiosexual, and I said jokingly, "You're a sapio. I'm a sapiosexual for you." He's like, "Well, I'm a sapiosexual for you too," and it's like, okay. <laughs> See, this is why I should have looked it up because I'd say, okay. Is that any different from any other attraction that you have to somebody, or does it deserve its own name? It, I'm sure it probably does. Yeah. Right? But but from the little that I know, that's what. You know, just yeah, I'll like, look it up. I'll definitely look it up. Matter just fact, like phobias, just like my, fetishes, you got to be very specific. You got to be specific these days. Yeah. Well, how do we get on this subject? Well, you mentioned you uh, you mentioned some jail stuff, which is usually where I try to steer people. Are you ready jail, for that direction? Jail, I people are going to be surprised by this. Maybe not too surprised, given that I was only in there for seven months. Okay. Um, but the time flew. Hmm. Really? Yes. Um, so, how was the? Did you feel like? Do you feel like you got better at being an inmate? Like, do you feel like at the beginning? Yeah. It was going slower than at the end? Yes, at the beginning it was slower than it was at the end. And towards the end Same when it experience. was a month to leave, two months to leave, everything started getting faster and faster. And um, I remember saying, you know, jail is so easy. It's like we're going camping together. <laughs> well, let's also put this in context. Uh, this is probably a more wealthy county. Okay. Right, so... It's pretty liberal, I would assume, compared to the rest of the United States. It's in Silicon Valley, for yeah, Christ's sake. Yeah, but if sake. you think about it, what do you do in jail? 
You're in a cell. In your experience either, so far. In Not my experience. Jails, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm right with you, but I always got to remember that. Throw in that my in. experience, I was in a jail cell with another person, sometimes by myself. And we got lunch, breakfast, and dinner brought to the door. So we didn't have to go out and get it out in the common area. And then the rest of the time, we were just free to think or do whatever we wanted with limited external stimulation. But internally, you could just be wherever you wanted to be. You can be in La La Land for all you care. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for me, what happened is I just started reading books. They had a little library, smaller than the one we have here, just about like 30 books at a time. And then every few months, they after about four or five months, they brought in a new batch and replaced the old ones, took out the old ones, put in some new ones. Anyway, long story short, I ended up reading about 40 books in seven months. Wow. And um, a lot of those books were religious. And before I was in jail, I was a declared atheist. Oh, wow. And it turned, now you're religious. And uh, now I'm a Christian. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I almost never hear it go the opposite direction. But in jail, uh, so I'm agnostic atheist basically now. Yes. But uh, when I went into jail, first of all, most of the time that I was in jail, I was in like an open dorm type of situation. But when I first went in, I was in a cell by myself. And that's when I had like religious experiences. Yes. And I was also psychotic in those yes. days. I think I had just gotten on like Haldol. Yes. Um, and I, I remember there was this guy, he was upstairs and he was like, yeah, I got a Bible for you. I got a Bible for you. I was like, oh yes, thank you. And I took it. I went into my cell and I started reading it. But it was like I was dyslexic. Like I couldn't read. And then certain words would be highlighted. Uh-huh. And I was like decoding shit. And then by the end of it, I was like, fuck this book. So I went, up, I went back up and I returned the book. And I think he knew I was psychotic because he, he started fucking with me. And he was like, okay, you could, you could return the book. But uh, you got to watch out for those demons, man. And I was like, come on, man. What the fuck are you talking about? Stop fucking with me, man. He's like, oh, yeah. Sometimes, you know, when you return a Bible, you know, they might try to crawl up and grab you. And I was like, oh, shit. And uh, there was a specific, like, you know how you can hallucinate by seeing something, right? Yes. I had a hallucination where I felt something. Where uh, he said, do you feel that? Do you feel that spirit? And I was like, no. What are you talking about? He's like, now do you feel it? And all of a sudden, it was like, like something had something had taken over my body for like a half second. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? And I ran into my cell and locked it up. Like I was only twenty minutes into my hour or something like that. But uh, I, I went in atheist and came out atheist. But I, I'm interested in hearing the the, the other reason that I became it's. I was an atheist because that's the secular thing to do in this area where we live because atheism is highly regarded. If you're a logical, reasonable person, it's it's kind of expected for you to be atheist or agnostic. And I followed that prescription. You know, I didn't want to stand out. I was the same. But when my grandfather passed away, and by the way, I I was raised by my grandparents, not my biological parents, my father's parents... And um, basically, when he passed away, I didn't want to be in the same room as him because it was the emotions were too strong, and I didn't want to see him actually die. 
Yeah. And um, so I went to the uh, next room over, and I was on my computer, just, you know, probably like on Reddit or something really stupid, <laughs> trying to not think about the fact that my grandfather is dying in the next room. Yeah. As soon as he passes away, I hear, I hear him go, oh, like a groan. Yeah. And he passes away. Instantly, I see his soul in front of me, and he says, I'm just checking in on you. Oh, shit. And then it disappears. And was this... And I ignored that, trying to fit in with this area, with the predominant beliefs of this area. I told myself, I'm going to still be atheist, even though I've seen someone's soul, someone that I care about. And they had communication with me after he passed away. I see where you're coming from, yeah. And it's like... It's almost like you're being asked to ignore evidence. Even though that would be a exactly. more scientific way of doing things. Exactly. And no one can deny me that I had that experience because I was there. I agree, yeah. I, I, I think that, one, I think you had that experience. Yes. I don't think that every experience is equally valid. In the sense that you can dream and yeah. not necessarily be... You know, in whatever place, you know, for me, maybe it would be on a dragon or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you can drink, you can have experiences are not just what is out there. It's also some processing that's going yes. on. And I know as, as someone who's been in psychosis, you can definitely hallucinate or you can do drugs and hallucinate. Mm -hmm. Right. So this confirms that it's not necessarily a matchup. But the experience is real regardless of how you got there. It's real. One, and two, you came on a, on a good point, which is very nuanced, that uh, is worth having on record. <laughs> I think there are bad reasons to be atheists, and I think that's one of them, because everyone else is doing it. Right. I think you really should. They're only real, like, I don't want to diss anybody, but the, the best path is understanding why uh, it, something does not make sense to you. And if it's anything else, then you're kind of like, you know, you don't have, a, right. if you don't, have, it, it's almost like there are bad reasons to uh, make certain statements about chemistry. You mm -hmm. could just guess a statement about, you know, an acid and a base, this is what's going to happen. You can guess it and yeah. still be right. But yeah. the best way is to have an understanding right. and then see why that is the outcome. Why right. this is the reason. And if you're in a society where people are, not directly, but kind of culturally through shame, whatever, forcing you to think a certain way, then even, unfortunately, even if it's a, a way of thinking that I agree with, I think that's a bad way of achieving it. So everybody should have a different path. Yeah. And so I would hope that people end up atheist. I, but, I, you know, everybody's at a different spot and you should rely on your, your experiences. But I would I would also throw in... Keep in mind, you can also hallucinate. That's a possibility, and in a traumatic situation, that might. Yeah, but it was so likely. coincidental. Why would I yeah. hallucinate in a moment where I was very aware? Um, well, it might where, be more likely. I, I wish I studied psych to make why this would a it powerful be this instantaneous after he died? You know, I could have hallucinated before he died, a year after he died. Why did it happen exactly the moment he passed away? You know, there's a little bit of evidence that you can't deny in that, that it happened instantly after he passed away. So, you know, I've had hallucinations, but my hallucinations are more like I see cartoons. You know, it's kind of like watching a TV reel, like yeah. Tom and Jerry. Like yeah. I'm watching Tom and Jerry <laughs> in front of my face, you know. 
Um, so I know how to identify my hallucinations and what they usually consist of. And this one was different. And this one was different. And this was after you'd already had Tom and Jerry-esque hallucinations. Yes. Oh, wow. So how long have you uh, had them? Because for me, it was only a five-month period. I, some part of me misses those days. <laughs> <laughs> 99% well, of me is glad. But how long have you been We can talk about that. Uh, I experienced it in jail uh, more towards the beginning than at the end because then I got on Cyprexa. Okay. And um, so cartoons and disfigured faces. And I actually watched a TED Talk recently about hallucination. Okay. Uh-huh. And they talked about how the areas in the brain that are most stimulated by hallucinations are the areas that detect faces. Huh. And so fa disfigured faces, deformed faces, are the most common baseline hallucination for everybody. I had something, Across the board. Yeah, something close to that. Yes. Is uh, I had, it wasn't that anyone's face was disfigured. Maybe it was a little bit. But I, it was a strong belief. Maybe this was a delusion. Yeah. It was a strong belief that someone who obviously was not someone that I've ever met before was familiar to me. Like uh, like he was uh, a family member in disguise or he's like a teacher that I knew in disguise. Right. Or like a shapeshifter type of thing was going on. And I was like, what? Like, what the fuck? Why do I think that this random dude who I've never met is a shapeshifted other person that I have met? Wow. But it could have been... That a part of it was, uh, you know, a face disfigure type of thing, yes. but I didn't recognize it as that. Or it could have just been a pure delusion. But in any case, that's the only thing that I've had that's close to that. Uh, so, but I, I don't doubt what you're saying. So if you that watch the most that common. TED Talk, the researcher did the research himself. Yeah. Says that disfigured or, you know, horrendous faces are number one and number two are cartoons. And those are the two things I've had, cartoons and disfigured faces. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew, he did some he did good research, I guess. Yeah. Right? Based yeah. off of our sample of one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two, I guess. And before you went to jail, did you have hallucinations? And how how long before that? Well, about two years prior to going to jail I had hallucinations for a period of a few months. Then they tapered off. Then I was completely fine without hallucinations for almost two years. Then around the time I went to jail, I had them again. And then that lasted a few months until I started the medication. What's interesting to me is that they went away. Yeah. So, because I've heard this before that in some cultures, you know, I don't know where I heard this. But in some cultures, uh, the way that, like, people deal with uh, people with mental health issues of this type mm -hmm. is they just like no medication you just let them do whatever and then eventually it goes away yeah which is um, maybe goes a little bit against the paradigm right now right. maybe it doesn't I don't right. know I don't study psychology right. but uh, it is interesting that your brain can kind of at least temporarily heal itself yeah or yeah at least it tapered away. Mm -hmm. So when it when it when you did have your first set of hallucinations, how did you react to that? Um, I reacted to it with fear. Um, 
intense fear, actually. And and were you doing any other drugs at this time? Any kind of weird diets, or do you well, think you can identify maybe a cause of this? Um, I was smoking weed. That was one thing I was doing. I was drinking beer, but not as often. Maybe once a month, but doing uh, weed every day. And that's when I was with my boyfriend, the one who just plays games and does weed all day long when he's not working. And so I acquired the same lifestyle as him. I'd be on my iPad, he'd be on his Xbox. We'd just be playing nonstop all day, smoking weed, keep playing, smoking weed, keep playing. And, um... Living the dream. <laughs> I actually thought that when I was like... Until the hallucinations yes, started coming in. Until the hallucinations started coming in. Mostly I was afraid. I can't say I had a very sophisticated reaction to it. It was more visceral of why me, why is it happening now? Are they going to continue? Um, are they going to be an impediment for me to be in, in a, any line of work? Yeah. Um, so it was stuff like that. But what I want to talk about, actually, instead of the hallucinations, there's something else that's more significant and more um, debilitating, which I had for some time. Okay. It was dissociation. Oh, wow. So it was feeling, the feeling of like your brain is numb and you're looking at yourself from the outside and you're not really who you think you are anymore. Oh, wow. And um, it overtakes your brain kind of like a blanket slowly and um, you feel this numbness and like nothing is real, including yourself. What you're seeing is not real. You're not real. You're dissociated from your being. You can see yourself in third person. And I've had that happen and cycle through a few days yeah. and then just go away completely. Kind of like having a stuffed up nose. Yeah. You know, you, you've got a stuffy nose and you just have to live with it because you can't do anything about it. And your brain is stuck in this stuffy nose mode. And then like eventually it stops and you're like, oh, relief. How did you function? And were you also smoking while this was going on? Well, that time I was not smoking. Oh. And um, I went online, you know, trying to do research to see, you know, where this would, would this continue or what were the symptoms for someone that had this as a condition. And actually, that's how I discovered that some people have been, have been living with this for years, for decades. Yeah. Um, some people have it just like constantly, constantly. And I thought, okay, well, I suddenly have a new condition. I have dissociation um, disorder. And uh, I, I joined a forum and I posted, I introduced myself. I said, I have this condition, thinking it wasn't going to go away. And then two or three days later, it snap and just clears away like nothing. Hmm. This is very, uh, this is very interesting because you're, you're aware of all of these things that have happened. Yeah. And how they felt and how you were affected by them. Um, yet, now, perhaps because of medication... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you seem to be very clear in your mind and uh, happy whenever I see you. Yeah. So that's a real case of recovery, right? Yes, and also the, not just because it's also for mood stabilization. Yeah. And that part really helps too. Mood stabilization? Mood stabilization. Yeah, that's mainly what I deal with. Yeah. So my diagnosis was, uh, my first one was schizophrenia while I was in jail. And I had the yeah. worst fucking psychiatrist 
Like I went in first of all, I had to shuffle in with the with the handcuffs and with the ankle weights. Yeah. All right, he's ready for you. I go in. It's this uh, this super buff Asian dude, and uh, the first time uh, I saw him, he was like, "Sign this paper," and I'm like, uh, "All right." And I have the handcuffs on while I'm like, I'm like, oh okay, where's God. the pen? I'm reading it. And he's like, sign the paper. I'm like, I know, I'm just, I'm just reading it. I'm yeah. just reading through. Yeah. So he snatches it away and says, you see, he signals to the officers, he's not going to sign it. So I'm like, dude, wait, I'm just trying to, ri-. I'm like, he's like, oh, they're like, all right, you got to wait next week. He's only here on Wednesdays. Oh my God. <laughs> they, were, they were trying to fuck with me in nine different ways in that county. But, uh. Anyhow, after all the smoke had cleared, I finally met with a real psychiatrist at a state hospital, uh, a Tascadero State Hospital, because uh-huh. I qualified to, uh, I was incompetent to stand trial the first time I went up to a judge. Yeah. I was just laughing at him, yelling at him, all kinds of disrespect. And uh, my, my lawyer just said, look, we're going to send you to a hospital, all right? I might help you out. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got there, I had already been on... Uh, I think they say it's usually for schizophrenia. Yeah. But how though? Okay. Yeah, I've been on a medication for around five months. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, they were like, oh, dude, you're not, like, you're not a true schizophrenic. That's for sure. Which means we're getting you off of this fucking how though. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin your life, basically. Mm-hmm. But we suspect you're bipolar. And um, I thought, nah, it's nothing. You know, nothing's wrong. But then... They caught me uh, talking about suicide with this other guy who was locked up in there with me. And uh, they said, you know, you might be depressed and not be aware of it, you mm. know. So you should probably try to get help for that. And then the yeah. next place I went, um, oh, yeah, then I met this guy who was bipolar. Mm-hmm. And he was like, if you're depressed and you got in here off of a manic episode, don't fucking let them diagnose you with depression. Because then it's going to send your mania through the roof. Yeah. So if you think you're depressed at all, say you're bipolar. And then um, the next doctor, he was like, yeah, you're probably bipolar. So that's what I'm sticking with now. And and the (laughs) medication, uh, so far so good. It's funny because I've had a total of about five diagnoses my entire life. Yeah. I've had PTSD, schizophrenia, uh, borderline personality disorder, psychosis, and major depressive disorder, and anxiety. And, um, what is this? Anxiety attacks. Um, so that's... What's an anxiety attack like? Anxiety attack, you feel like you can't breathe, like you're running out of air, and like you're gonna, you're gonna die in that moment, and that there's nothing you can do about it. And I had an anxiety attack on the freeway. This was back when I used to have a car, and I would drive around everywhere. I was coming all the way from the South Bay back to Redwood City in the peninsula, and I felt like I was going to die. And I called 911. I pulled over. I called 911. They came. They got me. They took me to the hospital. And all I needed was some oxygen. You know, in those moments you think you're going to die, but they put the, the oxygen tank on me. And I was like, okay, I feel a little better. I'm not going to die. It's okay. <laughs> oh, That's, that one right there seems like a real game changer, the anxiety attacks. Yeah. Because at least if I'm depressed or I'm kind of manic, I can notice what's going on in the process, you know? Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I felt manic-y the last couple of days, but no, nothing serious. Right. But I can be aware of it. Oh, okay, this is what's happening. These are the things I can do to react, and everything's fine. Exercise a little bit more, etc. Um, anxiety attack, it's out of the blue. 
you know? It's out of the and, 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 and you can't even, like, so how do you address that? Is there a medication for that type of thing? Yes, they have Bushbar, and they have another one whose name I don't recall, and that's taken as needed throughout the day. You can take, like, up to nine pills a day or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I had that prescribed to me, and um, it helped. I feel like it didn't help, actually, that the anxiety attacks just kind of went away when I knew how to, you know, to understand that that's what they were. The one that I don't remember the name of that you used prior, that one worked, but Bushbar didn't work at all. Hmm. Um, and so um, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Anyway, I'll remember eventually. But yeah, the Bushbar did not help at all. I felt it was like taking a placebo. Yeah. But, oh, something I wanted to talk about is suicide in jail. That's another interesting topic. I had a roommate. I had a cellmate. Um, her name was Lizette. And uh, she had been smoking meth for about 14 years straight. Yeah. So she was about my age, 28, started when she was 14, smoked 14 years of meth. And she would have paranoid visualizations. So she said that she imagines like a bunch of black bats coming and entering through her body and um, that then she would feel fear and distress and she's like they were attacking her from inside her body. And then one day she was crying and I'm like, why are you crying? And she told me this. Then a few days later, she's all like, I want to die. And I'm like, no, do you want me to get a mental health to talk to you? She said, no, because they're just going to prescribe me medication. I was like, okay, all right, I'll let you be. And then a day after that, we were all having our free time in the, in the, in the day room. And she comes out and notice that this is a two-story jail. There's yeah. oh. She climbs up on the railing on the second floor she with her hands holding her on the roof on the ceiling and she says i'm gonna kill myself and everybody screams they go "Ah!" and they run away towards the side and somebody yells don't do it yeah and um the guards are like oh my god everybody back in your cell they climb up they get her down and they take her to mental health yeah. And I was like, holy shit. But when I saw her, at first I didn't realize she was jumping because her face was kind of hidden behind her arm like this. Yeah. And I thought, did she put a rope up there and is she about to hang herself? Yeah. That was my first thought. And I felt intense fear and I almost felt traumatized by that experience. And I had to talk to a mental health practitioner myself about it. I, I since that was my roommate and you know she was my friend and the fact that she did this I can't I can't fathom it like suicide is the, the no one can solve all their problems with suicide there's always another option and seeing someone so close to at least damaging themselves you know breaking a few bones she probably wouldn't have died it's just a second story you know right but um you know damaging herself willingly purposefully and in that moment, seeing her, the reaction was so visceral that I thought to myself, no, Jessica, suicide is never the answer. And in that moment, it made it really real that it was never the answer, you know? Um, so even thinking about it, like, it's, 
it was just horrible, horrible. And um, she's fine now. They got her on medication. I hope she's fine. But something that she was also doing a lot of is prostituting herself. Mm. She said she had been doing that for years. And um, it was early in 2017 when I was still in jail. And she said, yeah, about this time last year, I already had slept with like 160 people. I was like, wow. And uh, the way she reasoned her job choice, her career choice as a prostitute, was that like, well, you know, sometimes fathers look at their daughters the wrong way, and that's not right. So kind of prostitutes are there to to, um, reorient men's desires. And it's better to be having sex with a prostitute than trying to sexually molest your daughter. Wow, what an argument. Yes. Yeah, this I've never uh, I've never been close to suicide on the other end, like watching someone. Yeah. But I was on I was on the side where I was suicidal, like at least twice while I was in jail, and um, this is not really funny, but it's funny to me. One of, one of the reasons why I didn't commit suicide was because of what you mentioned the, the top tier is not really that high. Yeah. So I thought I'm just going to paralyze myself and and still be depressed in my head. Yeah. You know, but now I'll be paralyzed. <laughs> so uh, you know, I might as well just finish my term. But it was it was bad enough. Um, oh, I said it was smooth sailing after the diagnosis. Yes. No, actually, at the beginning they messed up because uh, they took my blood, but then I they moved me around. And the records didn't follow quickly enough. Right. So they gave me, like, they under-prescribed me. Um, so it wasn't really the effective dose. I was taking the medication, but it wasn't the effective dose for my, uh-huh. my weight or whatever. Uh-huh. So uh, I would go to mental health, like, every week. Right. And i say, like, man, I remember at least one time I was like, I'm probably going to commit suicide, but it's not going to be in jail. I'm not going to get you guys mixed in it, you, you know. You're a great mental health specialist or whatever. I'm not going to get everybody mixed in this shit. After I get out, I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm I'm pretty much ready to die. Um, and they're like, okay, is your medication? I'm like, you know, I got my medication already. I don't need to go to the eighth floor. It's not going to help anything. I'm just saying I'm going to function just fine. But if you really want to know how I feel, I'm done, you know? Uh, so the first time was in one county where I was like, it's not high enough. That was the same place where the guy did the Bible trick on me. Do you feel the spirits? <laughs> and then uh, the second time was in this county where I'm just going to mental health. Because I thought, like, if I at least express it, that's probably better than not expressing it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I know I'm not going to do anything while I'm in jail. I'm not going to try to kill myself in jail. But yeah. I just, I'm not, it was just so... Like, I remember also saying, I think that this might not be depression, though. I think this might be the correct reaction to the fact that I've ruined my life. Right. Like, I I don't know anyone here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I could be homeless as soon as I get out of here. Mm -hmm. There's so many unknowns that I think it's actually rational Mm -hmm. for me to be at least a little depressed um, and recognize, you know, I feel like I've done enough in my life, you know? Yeah. Um... And I don't think I can ever make things the way they were before. Uh, so I just, at that moment, I felt like, yeah, it's not really, I mean, I'm going to die anyway. It's funny you say that. Yeah, of course, having a, having a good plan, you know, 
uh, jumping from a second tier wasn't going to do anything except maybe paralyze you, but I would fantasize about jumping in front of a train. Yeah, because you'll know it'll probably work. Yeah. Yeah. Or also jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. That's I fantasized about that one. And that as a like matter of fact, um, you know, this is very serious, but before I was taken into jail, I was in the hospital at the EPS, Emergency Psychiatric Services, because I tried to commit suicide from the Golden Gate Bridge. I was over the railing. I was ready to jump. Some girl extended her hand to me and she said, I can help you, don't do it. And she called the paramedics and they got me over the railing again. But I was looking down and I was ready to jump. I was about to jump. And the only reason I didn't jump is because the pain of jumping over the railing you have to go several feet down after you jump on the railing. And I bruised my thighs because I fell like this. And the pain was like, oh, because you're falling on pure metal, right? And it was like, oh, my God. And I couldn't get up. And uh, she, I, she gave me her hand and everything. And I slowly got up. And I thought, if it hurt this bad to just get over the railing, I can imagine how bad it's going to hurt to fall in that water. It's like falling on concrete. Because the speeds, you know why you die. Yeah. Because of the impact. It's like landing on concrete. And I was like, I can't go through with it. And, and then the girl gave me her hand. And I was like, oh. And I was crying. I was crying too. And I, I was like, oh, okay. Thank you. You know, thank you. And the paramedics came. They got me over the railing. And I went to EPS. Wow. So for you, maybe you saw a little bit of yourself in your roommate. Yes. Wow. Same style, jumping. Yeah. But uh, as soon as I landed, I was like, no, I take it back. <laughs> the pain is just like going to be too much. Fuck, yeah. Just have your best friend punch you really hard instead. Like Bobby said, he slaps himself on the face too. When he's not doing something okay, he just slaps himself on the face 12 times and then he's good. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder why 12 times. The 12 steps. The 12 one slaps. For each 12, one, is one for each step, yeah. <laughs> Did you prefer, when you were in the cell living, to yeah. be by yourself or to have a bunkie? Or what did you guys call it? Well, yeah, bunkie. Bunkie. Bunkie or cellmate. Okay. Usually bunkie, though. Usually um, bunkie. <laughs> um, it... it varied according to the time I was there. When I first arrived, I preferred to be by myself because I was having these moments of anxiety where I even wanted to start a fight with my bunkie. Um, I wasn't never actually violent, but I, I was really agitated and I had to call in the guards and say, look, I'm really agitated. I might do something I don't mean. Get me in my own cell. So they did. And I was there for like the first month, two months, like by myself, and then I mellowed out. And then I'm like, okay, well, I feel kind of lonely now. Can you put me with a bunkie now? Yeah. And they did, and then that was okay. So for me, it, it, it varied. At the beginning, I didn't want a bunkie, and then later I did want a bunkie. Yeah, I was uh, a similar experience. I had to get used to the idea of just living in there. Mm -hmm. before I could even fathom living with another man's farts and all that other shit. Yes, oh Somebody my god. Somebody taking a shit right in front of me, you know. Yes. People, but, but what was surprising was that everyone else who had been living like that loved the, being with the bunkie. And they're like, we don't understand how you're living like a savage by yourself all day, you know. Yeah. 
And I was like, dude, you guys, I don't know how you're doing it. And uh, same county, where uh, San Benito County, where the they had the bad psychiatrist. They also made me this uh, this deal because I was there by myself for four or five months, and then I left to a state hospital. Mm-hmm. Everything was fine at the state hospital. Got my diagnosis right. I was stable. I even fetched the newspaper every day. I was like a good, you know, model, whatever, mm. patient. Then I came back, and they put me in the same situation that I was in when I'd come in off the street psychotic, you know? And I was like, hey, don't I qualify for general population? Mm-hmm. You know? I'm, I, I was in there with people who were getting punished by being in the cell with me. Mm. So uh, the disciplinary. So they're like, well, we'll think about it, we'll think about it. And then eventually they said, all right, here's the deal. A prison dude had just come in. (laughs) Black dude. And there weren't that many black dudes. It was like mostly Hispanic. Yeah. And they said, "Uh, you know, how are you with uh, D2 or whatever? And I was like, huh? The prison dude? I mean, I don't know him that well, obviously. (laughs) They're like, all right, here's the deal. You want to go to general population? We need more space in this jail. You're in a solitary thing. We need another one. If you move in with this guy, then, you know, maybe you'll get into general population. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, wait a minute, the guy yesterday, now, I had just spoken to the guy who makes that decision, one of the CEOs, uh, like through my door. Because he was like, hey, you just came back. All right, whatever. I was like, hey, hey. Because the other inmates had told me, hey, if you want to get moved, you got to talk to this guy. I was like, what does he look like? He's the tall dude with, he has like bird legs. So I went over and I found him, or he found me rather, because he was doing his rounds. I sat, I mean, I made my case to him through the crack of my door. Hey, you know what I mean? Let me in general population. Everything's good. Ask him. You can read my reports. I'm not going to hurt anybody. So he was like, all right, we'll think about it. You know, we'll think about it. And then the next time I saw him, he said, yeah, we'll be able to move you over because it was like getting close to the 4th of July. And uh, they have a lot of people coming in (laughs) at the 4th of July. So uh, long story short, this guy who runs the thing was telling me one thing. And these guys on the intercom who I can't see are telling me I got to move in with the prison guy. So I said, if I don't move in with the prison guy, can I still still go to general population? (laughs) And they were like, well, we don't know. So we'll give you, I said, all right, give me some time to think. One minute later, they're like, all right, so what's your decision, man? Hurry up. And I was like, no, I'm not going to move in with this dude. I don't know anything about him. Um, that's my decision. And then they go away. And then five minutes later, they buzzed in and said, uh, good luck getting into general population. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fuck, I thought I had the option. I thought I had the option. <laughs> you never have the option. But... Uh, yeah, I was against bunkies, and by some stroke of luck, they ended up changing the policy where it was normally a 23-hour lockdown, mm-hmm. but they said if two people want to come out together, then they'll get 22-hour lockdown and two hours out. Mm-hmm. So, like, nine of us decided we're all coming out together, yeah. and we basically aren't even in lockdown anymore. Yeah. So, um, that prison dude was one of the nine. Okay. Turns out he was a great guy. I went to a cell. I went to a cell, and it was like the biggest cell in the jail. I was like, oh, these guys were making me a deal. But two or three days later, I left that place, so it didn't matter. But uh, it was a, I remember those early days being surprised. Like, man, you guys really like living cramped? Because I had the same size cell, uh, with the exception of the prison dude who was on the corner. I had the same size cell, but I was by myself, you know? 
I could jerk off all day. Nobody's going to get mad. I don't have to deal with anybody doing push-ups at, you know, three in the morning. <clears throat> I thought, I, you know, anyhow, as far as cell living goes, that's a point of interest for me. Because uh, after that, after, honestly, after being in any kind of lockdown, I think it's, it, it kind of woke me up because I don't take for granted small things like this. I don't take for granted uh, getting to speak to somebody about their lives. Because it's really, it's painful almost to not be connected to people, you know? Yeah. I remember there was a guy, when they used to open up the little hole for for the meals, mm -hmm. there was a guy who was out on his hour, who was like one of my friends. He was like a white dude from the mm -hmm. And uh, he said, hey, when they open it up, I'm going to try to fist bump you, so make sure you're awake. Right, mm -hmm. and I remember that day because they obviously they're like, "Oh yeah, come over here," and then they closed it right on his face. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no fist bumps. But I remember, like, man, that's that is kind of embodying what we all feel. Like, can I just get a fucking fist bump from another f criminal, please? Yeah. Because that's the level of human. That's how desperate I know I was yeah. for for a human connection, and. Uh, so maybe that's where the whole bunky obsession comes from, you know? Mm -hmm. I'll take the farts with the human connection. Yeah. I guess it's a deal a lot of people make. Yeah. Well, it's uh, medication time, so I'm going to dip out. But first of all, thank you. Uh, you brought to the table more than I expected. Yeah. But uh, I'm really grateful for that, and I hope, you know, your recovery goes as you plan. Okay. But there's one more question, all right? Okay. The most important question. The most important in the question in the universe. Are you ready? I'm ready. Through or inside? Through. You have to go through a lot of shit to discover what's on the inside. That's right. <laughs> I'm a real tigger, I got triggers Dip her in honey, I will lick her Like Pooh Bear, I'm too rare You Care Bears, your crew scared Tape here when the fam's near Cheap shit, that's out Weekends in the kitchen, off the deep end But I'm living Ooh, Cleaner than soap box The Chef of X Podcast Mmm, delicious